Welcome back to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and this is the show where we discuss topics around how audiology affects your life. Some guests come on and share their personal story and their relationship with their journey through hearing loss or being a parent to a child with a hearing loss. Other times we have expert guests come and discuss and share the wisdom that they have from experience on a specific topic. For example, the most recent episode with Dr. Melissa Karp was about sound sensitivities, and we touched on auditory processing disorder. These are topics that people have so many questions about, and I love that when we have these conversations on the podcast, it's really a way to get to know the topic and understand some of the most common questions, but in a really simple and conversational way so that you don't really necessarily realize that you're learning, but you are. And I've also had listeners share with me that even if they don't have a specific connection or interest in the topic of the episode, they still listen because they feel like so many of the things that we discuss can apply to other areas of their life, to parenting, to medical advocacy, to learning to stand up for yourself and use your voice. Well, today's guest is Courtney Turner, and she shares her story of resilience and what it is like to have a hearing loss uh, all throughout growing up that wasn't necessarily known about or treated and uh, how her life changed once she was able to get the care that she needed. And we're also going to be having a couple of episodes, the next several episodes, which are more personal stories, um, people sharing their journeys, which is just my favorite kind of interview to do because I love talking to fascinating and wonderful people from around the world and sharing those conversations with you and hearing how they resonate for you. What, what stood out? What advice do you feel like really applies to you? And sometimes you feel wow, I just really needed to hear that. And I, I love when that happens um, in our community. So absolutely tell me how it sits for you and come and leave your comments on the podcast at allaboutaudiology.com. Leave a review on iTunes and join our community on Facebook, on Instagram, and share your story with audiology. So welcome, Courtney, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to hear your story. So let's start from the beginning. Tell us about yourself and, and what, what was this right at the beginning of your life, this rubella? Yes. So uh, my mother contracted germ measles during first trimester pregnancy. And so I was born with congenital rubella. I was one of the very fortunate. Lots of rubella babies do not fare nearly as well as I did. However, it rendered me with several medical complications, not limited to, but including bilateral hearing impairment. We actually did not find out that I was really hearing impaired until I was about six years old. I got hearing aids at the age of six. I had learned how to speak by reading lips. Wow. So, yeah, actually my first sound uh, when I did get hearing aids, I stepped outside. I was like, Mom, what's that sound? And it was birds chirping. I had never heard it before. Oh, I don't know. I would get very misty when I think of that. Um, but I had several other complications. I was born with cataract in my left eye. I am blind in one eye. I can tell you if the light's on or off. I used to have a little bit more vision. I developed glaucoma, which attacked a lot of the 
no optic nerve, so one vision was compromised at that point. Not that that eye was ever really functioning because the discrepancy between two eyes was so great. Uh, so when the strong eye is open, that one takes over. But I was also born with hypotonic limbs, which means muscles in my limbs didn't develop. My growth was stunted. Asymmetrical bone development, um, fine graphic, fine and graphic motor impairment. Um, I was missing 10 teeth. Uh, there are lots and lots of challenges. Yeah, your parents were very busy with you. <laughs> they were busy. Um, they actually told my mom the best she could hope was to find a nice institution for me to spend my life. So, wow. Uh, yeah, I know. You imagine? Yeah. But my, my mom was not taking no for an answer. She didn't believe it. So I'm very grateful for that. That's incredible. So I, I can see where you get the whole idea, you know, talking about resilience and overcoming things. It just didn't let that stand in your way. So I'm interested in the in language development where you said you learned to read lips. Like how, how much were you able to hear? I have like maybe an 80% hearing loss without my hearing aids. Um, it's pretty significant. Um, both ears are about the same. Uh, one year gets more clarity, the other year gets more volume. They kind of balance out, you know. You know, I think it's like when you look at the graph, like some frequencies are higher in one ear versus the other, but then the other frequencies are higher in the other. So they kind of, they're almost the same, essentially. Yeah, so I did learn how to speak by reading lips. My first accent was actually almost British because of my baby nurses were um, from British Islands. And so I was watching how their mouth moved. And they move very differently. You know, they're much more closed and that affects the sound. So not that my speech was super clear, but it was much more akin to that when I was first learning how to speak. That's very interesting about the about the accents because you were watching their mouth movements. That's, yeah, wow. So I did get hearing aids when I was about six years old. And that was a really interesting story because uh, I was getting chronic ear infections as a kid. And so, of course, when I had an ear infection, I had even more trouble hearing. And my ears were clogged on top of already being hearing impaired. Um, and my hearing is, uh, my hearing loss is nerve deafness. So it's not, yeah, it's nerve deafness. There wasn't a whole lot that could be done other than hearing aids. But I had these chronic ear infections. And I remember one time I had an ear infection. And I would always talk to my mom while she did the dishes. And she was doing the dishes. And every time she turned away, she'd go put a dish in. I'd be like, what? What? I beg your pardon? What? You know? Um, and it, she said, you know, maybe we should look into getting you hearing aids just when you have an ear infection, you know, so that you don't have to keep asking why. And we actually had a neighbor who lived diagonally behind us um, who wore hearing aids. She was very mildly hearing impaired, but she was very immersed in the deaf culture and wore hearing aids. We were very aware of it. Um, and she's like, yeah, so maybe she'd get hearing aids like her, just so that you're not struggling so much. And we went to the audiologist, and they said, she's got a really significant hearing loss. She needs them full-time. I don't know how she's even talking. And, yeah, so I did get hearing aids at that point. And I remember you know, when you talk about speech development, um, so I did learn how to speak through reading lips, but... You know, I definitely struggled with a lot of differentiation in certain uh, words. And uh, I remember in first grade, I got 100 on every spelling test. And then uh, we got to the SHCH chapter, and I failed the test. And my teacher was, like, 
we were very close. Like she ended up going to all of my roller rink birthday parties for years after, made me all these like ceramic birthday gifts. We were very close. So she was totally baffled. Like, I don't understand what happened, what's going on. I remember she pulled me aside and she kept saying to me, chair, chair. And I was like, chair? Like, I need some amalgam too, you know? Like, it just made no sense to me. Over and over again, she kept saying it. I'm like, I, I don't get it. There is no difference to me. And I remember getting so frustrated. Like, I remember it. I was so frustrated. Like, there is no difference. It's share whatever, you know, word I made up. But it was a combination of the two, and I just couldn't know the difference. So we went to speech therapy, and uh, my speech therapist, Nance, her name is Nancy. Um, I called her Nance, and she was actually from San Francisco. So I just think it's interesting because growing up, people always thought that I had, you know, like California accent, and it sense because I ended up being in California and Southern California. But it, it's kind of funny. But people would always tell me when I'm really tired or drunk that I sound British, and I'm like, well, this makes sense. You know, I learned how to speak my from somebody who was from California. And my initial speech patterns came from, you know, British people. So it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It just goes to show how your environment affects what your input is. If you're spending hours and hours a day with someone who's helping you learn to speak, they speak a certain way, you're going to learn that way. I can't imagine how, how much you were compensating, like how hard you had to work in order to do anything with that level of hearing loss and no awareness of it for so long. Totally. Um, you know, and even now there's tremendous compensation. You know, when I first moved out to California, I had a roommate I lived with for literally four months and she was Russian Israeli. She had a very thick, thick accent. And one day she says to me, is my accent so terrible? You never understand anything I'm saying. And I said, to her, I said no, I, I, it's not you. It's me. I'm deaf, you know, <laughs> you don't have to make excuses. I know my accent's really bad, you know. Way to bury the lead. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't tell them. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, well, I'm not deaf, but like really I'm significantly hearing impaired. And you know, she didn't believe me. I said, no, no, I know I'll work on my accent. And uh I you know, I took my hearing aids out and I showed her and she said, Oh, she said, is that why when I go into the other room or I turn away, you don't hear me? Should you read lips? I'm not aware at this point how much I still depend on it, but I do very much, yeah. It's been really hard now with everybody wearing the mask. Mm -hmm. I, I have no idea what people are saying. I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. It's definitely a challenge. We're all talking about that and how the, yeah. the ones with the little window, the plastic, that's a great idea, but you're really coming up with the totally. fog issue. Totally. <laughs> and so then it's, well, it's very clever, but what, how to deal with the fog? And then people are having all sorts of ideas, like put shaving cream on it so it doesn't fog up. And I was like, but then you're inhaling the shaving cream. I'm not sure if that's such a good idea. <laughs> right. So it's still a lot, couple of kinks to work out. It's just important to be safe above <laughs> <Yeah>. all. <laughs> But communication is definitely, definitely a challenge. So tell me, tell me more about what happened, like uh, as you continued on in so, school. Yeah, um, school is definitely challenging with the because I'm visually impaired as well, and I have the graphic motor impairments. So um, I write very slowly, so it's really hard for me to see the board, try and read the teacher's lips, and write. <laughs> Uh, it's actually almost impossible for me. I was very fortunate that through most of my schooling, I could kind of get by, and I just didn't really, 
and just did whatever I could do and come by, you know. Um, when I got to college, I was like, you know what? I want to do really well. So I'm going to ask for a note taker. That will make my life so much easier. Um, and I'm legally entitled to it, you know. I was like, I'm going to. So I went and I asked, and I remember the whoever it was that I, I asked, you know, for these accommodations looked at me and said, you're doing fine. And I remember I got so mad. And they said, what if I wanted to do great? <laughs> we're like, you're doing fine. Why, why were we concerned? If you're having a problem, you can come back. And I remember being so angry because I saw these other people who were visibly, you know, like in, in wheelchairs, but they didn't have hearing challenges. They didn't need no takers. You know, they may have had other challenges and, you know, fully they, respect that they should get accommodated for those challenges but I remember being so upset that they weren't helping me because it didn't serve an agenda like I wasn't visibly challenged and my grades were were fine so it was kind of like well why bother and that's not really right you know just because I was able to compensate doesn't mean that I wouldn't have done better or been better served if I had gotten accommodations you know, the amount of effort that I had to put in and really what I was missing in the process, you know, just because I was able to compensate and I was fortunate enough to have the aptitude to be able to compensate, and I'm very grateful for that, there's still so much that I, more that I could have ascertained if I had had help, you know. So I remember that being really frustrating, and I remember being the first time where I had really made that conscious effort, and I think... Before that, I was really just kind of like, okay, you know, like, I'll just do what I can do. And yeah, I did do fine. So it was okay. And how did that experience affect your self-advocacy in other situations? When you, you you know, you finally put your hat in the ring and said, I'm going to go and ask for help. And then you got turned down. I don't think I've ever thought about it, but I think it must have had a huge impact because I've never really advocated after that. And I pretty recently actually was going to go back to school, do my post back, um, and go down a medical path. I was not hundred percent sure like what path that would be, whether it be naturopathic or PA, but you know, I was looking to do my post backs in the medical field. Um, I had been discouraged from doing any, uh, medical or law degree, um, because I, had a major spike in the intraocular pressure with glaucoma when I was in college. And my eye doctor at the time said, mostly to my mom, but, you know, he strongly urged me as well to not go down that path because he was afraid I would lose the vision in my strong eye um, from all the strain of that kind of reading. So, but then recently I was like, you know, I think we can get big print. We can do stuff on the computer. I think, and I had gone back for some classes, and I remember it was, again, a huge challenge. I sat up in front. I was trying to see the board, and I remember trying to advocate. One of the professors, I couldn't hear him at all. He was sitting behind a desk, and his lips would be covered right here. And so then, and then he turns away, goes to the board, and I'm like, so now I get none of what he's saying, really. And I can barely see the board. I was taking my phone to take screenshots and then zooming them and then trying to take notes. And I, I got so frustrated. I was like, this is just not worth it for me. It's taking the fun out of the learning. And I had gone and asked for accommodations once again. 
Um, and they were like, we'll have somebody in the class who's already taking notes, just send their notes to you. And I actually found out, and I was so upset about this, but I found out that I have a friend who her job is to do the captioning for the school that I was at. And that's what she does. And I didn't even know that her services existed. When I went to advocate, they didn't tell me that that existed. They were like, yeah, we'll have somebody in the class take notes and send it to you. I mean, if it's an official, just for our listeners, if it's an official uh, relationship that the student has permission from the department is called, they can hire someone who's a student in the class and then they need to pay them because compensate them for their service. Like <laughs> that's like all, all around that story doesn't suit anybody. <laughs> it, when I found out that, that that was my friend's job, I found myself like long after taking class. I mean, cause I had kind of given up, you know, it's like, I'm gonna do the best I can in this class, get whatever I can, but I'm not continuing because I was getting zero help. Um, and it was, it was so frustrating. I mean, I was really catching like 10% of what the professor was saying. And, but then I found out this app, that was actually her job at that school. And I didn't even know her services existed when I had specifically gone down to the department and requested advocacy. So, yeah. Um, so, and, and that was years later, but in college, I kind of just gave up and I've never, I've never been one to fight for any kind of advocacy. I've always just kind of done whatever I could do, you know? Well, I mean, I did hear you say that you lived with someone for four months and never told them you had hearing loss. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I that was a actually, really funny story in college. Um, there was a guy who I was introduced to um, at a party, gorgeous guy. He was captain of a cross team. Like I had a huge crush on him and my friend introduces me to him and he, and so I introduced myself assuming he doesn't know who I am, of course. Right. And he's like, yeah, just go ahead. Just ignore me. Like you always do. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, pretty sit across from me in class. Like I see you every day. And I mean, I knew this, but I didn't think he knew who I was. And I said, I've never ignored you. You know, and he says, yeah, you always ignore me. Like I always say hello when you're on like the, the main path at school. And I said, you know, if you've ever said hello, I didn't see you or didn't hear you. And he said, right. So next you're going to tell me you're like deaf or something. And I was like, well, <laughs> and I actually, I ended up taking my, we had like an argument back and forth and I took my hearing aids out and I showed him like, wow, I'm kind of an a-hole. Like I didn't say it, but, <laughs> but it's really interesting. Like, you know, that's a funny story. Um, but it's really interesting other people's perspective because, you know, it's not something any other people expect. They don't expect somebody doesn't hear you. They usually take it personally. Like, they're offended. You didn't understand me or you're not listening. You're not paying attention. Um, and even, I remember even as a very little kid, I was always dealing with that. People were like, you're playing games, you know, or you're not paying attention. Like, no, I, I'm really not hearing you, you know? And that's why it's so important when we, we speak to people who need hearing aids and don't want to get them or their children need hearing aids and they have a lot of resistance and stigma. Um, the person is going to get resistance and stigma one way or the other. Either it's going to be about hearing aids and why do you need to wear those and all the stories about that, or it's going to be like you said about their behavior that they miss things and they're they don't get the jokes. And when everyone's whispering about this other kid, they miss it. So then there's like social implications for totally. that. So yeah, that's as super, I've gotten super older, important. I've been much now more they, vocal about it. Um, mostly for other people, you know, I don't want them to feel like I'm not listening, not paying attention or for us to have communication, uh, blocks, you know, 
for them to understand, okay, I am hearing impaired. There may be things I miss, especially if I'm not, if I'm far away or I'm not facing you and I can't read your lips, you know, so that they're aware. I think it just makes both of our lives easier. The other thing you mentioned before about the, just the whole concept of disabilities and how different disabilities are different. And even the word disability upsets some people and for other people is empowering. And they say, well, I have a disability and this is what I need. So what's the story? And also I've noticed you that, that you use the term hearing impaired, where a lot of other people want to be, want to use the term hard of hearing and that they don't feel impaired. And it's like, there's so much more that goes into it. That's about your identity, how you show up in the world. And I think everyone should just do what they do. Like it's your choice. What words you're going to use about That's what actually you're a really interesting point because I was mainstreamed. You know, I was never in a, I was never immersed in deaf community or a blind community or, you know, I was never put into any kind of disability or, uh, you know, special needs kind of programs. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. Honestly, I think that that while there was a lot of challenges for me to overcome having, you know, been dealt with that, um, having to keep up, but I'm very grateful nonetheless. But the interesting part of it is that I've always felt like I was caught between worlds because I don't have, I am hearing impaired. You know, it is an impairment. I mean, human beings are designed with two ears to hear. It's a huge part of their functioning. You know, that's not to say I'm less of a human or that other people who don't hear at all, you know, like, but it is something that they have a challenge with. Every human being has challenges. That is one of my challenges. I have lots of other challenges. That happens to be one of them. And so people who are very immersed in like a deaf culture, they have a community, you know, and I know some people are, you know, almost militant about it. Like they're, they're a community and they're very, uh, you know, they advocate for it and, um, one of the great things about that is that as human beings, we're social creatures and, you know, we do have a need for belonging and for community and for support. Um, and so I think it's beautiful for people who want that to have that uh, because I never grew up with that. That's never resonated for me. You know, I, but I have always been kind of in between worlds because I feel like, you know, it's not like they're going to accept me um, because I didn't grow up, you know, in a deaf community. I don't sign. Um, but, you know, I'm glad you mentioned this. It's uh, it's almost exactly what Toby said. She was on one of the earlier episodes. I'll link that in the show notes too. And she said exactly one one foot in this world, one foot in that world, and you're kind of stuck in between. No matter no matter where you are on the spectrum, you're always gonna kind of be stuck in there. So I, I think a very important part of this podcast and our community is to make room for everybody and you know, that there should just be understanding that one person's experience is totally not another person's experience. And there's so many factors where you grow up and what family you have, what resources you have, how much hearing loss you have, like all those things come into it. Absolutely. I do think for children, it is so important, you know, that they do be, regardless of whether you mainstream them or not, that as soon as you can provide support, whether it be to get hearing aids, cochlear implants, or to, uh, you know, whatever you can do to give them as much exposure is so important for, you know, the brain development. Including if that's going the sign language route, that then you need to have enough language input for that to be meaningful. Absolutely. It's interesting as a kid, because I, 
I, I did a lot of mimicking because I wasn't hearing. And so, but you know, so much communication is nonverbal, right? So I would just watch what people were doing and try to communicate. Um, and I actually, I created, I, it was something called bubble land because, you know, kids are not always super accepting and I was definitely a little bit different. And so I was like, okay, well, I may not perfectly fit into your world. So I'm going to create my own world and you have to be invited by me, obviously, to come into my world. <laughs> and you had to blow bubbles to get there. I was obsessed with bubbles. I love bubbles. And we spoke gibberish. And it was really interesting because uh, children are masters of improv. So one of the, right, one of the rules of yeah. improv is yes and. It's never like no but. And it was always yes and. And they just accept the premise and go along with it. And what was so fascinating is that we always understood each other perfectly. Because so much of communication is nonverbal. And I think that that's a huge part of, so whether it's going to be sign language or whether it is going to be reading lips or speech, you know, for, for the children to continue to have whatever practice that is going to be with other people. And to, because I, even today when I miss things, I'm so good at picking up the nonverbal cues. So even when people are talking to me through the math, I may not know exactly what they said. I have a really good idea because I'm so used to picking up the nonverbal cues and having had that practice, you know, with the gibberish. Yeah. Children are amazing. And they're very, they're, you know, children are so adaptable. They're so resilient and just do whatever they need to do to, like you said, get to belonging and get that connection. And sometimes that is actually a survival technique in situations where um, it may be not the best thing for them, but they're going to still do anything to get that connection. So then when we grow up, we start to realize, hey, some of those things that I maybe did as a kid to protect myself were not so healthy in the long run. Or they may have been healthy at the time. You know, I mean, that's the other thing that I think exactly. as adults we don't always realize is that we develop coping mechanisms that may serve us at one point, and that doesn't mean they serve us forever throughout our whole lives. So that's yeah. what we get to do as adults mm -hmm. is assess what coping mechanisms are serving us and which ones aren't, which ones do we want to keep, and which ones do we want to shift, and what new ones do we want to take on. I'd love to hear more about what you do now. So I am in like a whole transition which lots of people, people are dealing with our shelter in space. Um, but I am in the process of developing a show and I just got my teaser done. Well, it's not completely done, but I got the first cut ready. So ready to pitch um, pretty soon. And it's a brand that I've trademarked. It's called Wim, What is Movement? And we explore, I've already done seven episodes. We explore ways that movement helps people to heal mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, so my premise that all human beings are designed to move, the ways in which we do are our unique creative expressions. So I interviewed like movement artists, athletes, performance artists, everyday people who love to move and feel that it's somehow been an integral part of their lives, healing, overcoming. Um, so I am working on that. I also speak, I share my story. Um, and when I, a lot of times when I do speaking, I perform aerial acrobatics to show people what, you know, is possible when people thought it wasn't. And that is really my, my main theme is that I want people to 
you know, see past the limiting beliefs that have either been internalized um, or handed to them um, and to, you know, move past that. Because I'm not somebody who doesn't, who thinks that we're invincible, you know, all human beings have limitations, but often those limits are so far beyond what we think they are. And, you know, I feel like I'm a testament to that exactly. You know, they, they said for me to go spend my life in an institution. Um, and, you know, here I am. So, yeah, so I'm really passionate. Yeah. And when I see your Instagram stories and you're doing like pull-ups and I don't know what else. <laughs> CrossFit as well, like performing aerial acrobatics. And yeah, I'm really passionate about movement. I think movement has been a huge part of my healing journey. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's also a huge part of, I always say like movement is a metaphor for life. I, I was a philosophy major. I guess like I'm, you know, pretty much just a philosopher. I've spent most of my life, you know, studying the human psyche and, uh, whether it be from the philosophical, psychological, metaphysical, or physiological aspects. Um, but I do think movement is such a huge, uh, metaphor and it's such a great teacher, um, because it teaches us really about, uh, work ethic resiliency, um, how to overcome obstacles and challenges. And it teaches us so much about who we are in the face of adversity, you know, like how do we handle things? Because it's so concrete, you know, you, when you're up against a physical challenge, it's, it's right there. You either tackle it or you don't. And it, you get to look at what works, what doesn't work. And then you, I always say life is all about assessing risk versus reward. And so, you know, that's what we're constantly doing. And if it's worth the risk, then you have to put the work in and in order to get the reward. That's wonderful. Thank you, Courtney, for coming on to the All About Audiology podcast and sharing your story with us. And before you go, I do want to ask you if you have one piece of advice for our listeners, uh, for parents of children with hearing loss who are in the position of placing some of those beliefs in their children um, and the professionals that work with them, what would you say to them? I would say, so obviously it varies because there's a huge spectrum of hearing and, you know, what is possible. I think the most important thing to do as a parent is one, to communicate. So even if your child is completely deaf, to continue, don't give up communication with them because they can, you know, if they can see, they can see your lips moving, they can read your body language, they know you're engaging with them. That is so important for their development, um, to have that connection for that learning process, for the brain development. Um, so I think some parents get very frustrated and feel like, oh, it's not worth it. You know, like they can't hear me. And I don't think that's true at all. They can feel vibrations. I think, you know, playing music, dance with them. All of that stuff is so important, even if they have zero hearing. And if they have a little bit of it, they're going to be picking up so much more than you think. Um, the second thing I would say is do not give up hope. Do all the research possible. So, you know, if you are given a diagnosis, let's say you're given a really devastating uh, diagnosis uh, from a doctor, you're not going to just take that as face value, right? You're probably going to go get a second opinion. And I strongly urge parents to do that. Do as much research as possible. Find out exactly what is their hearing. How much do they have? What are the possibilities? Why are they not hearing? You know, is, are they a candidate for a cochlea implant? Can they get hearing aids? You know, it, can they get tubes? Like there's so many possibilities. And I strongly encourage to do as much research as possible to see what's available. 
And the third thing that I think is super important is to build a support system. So I think a lot of times when we face challenges in life, you know, very easy for people to be consumed by fear. Um, there is like a system, it's a, it's called power bad, basically. So, and this is biological. So for survival reasons, human beings are much more tuned into bad things because for instance, if we are being hunted by a lion, it is much more important for us to be aware of that lion than it is to smell the roses in front of us. So that's why they say like, it takes something like five compliments to outweigh an insult. And so a lot of times, you know, when you're hearing a negative uh, prognosis or diagnosis, you know, people get very anxious and consumed by that. And it feeds into the people around us. So I think it's really important to make sure you have support. And if the people directly around you are not persuaded and able to become support system, go find other people to be support because we need that support, especially in times of adversity. Wow. I couldn't have said it better myself. Those are three excellent tips. In fact, there are um, a lot of what's included in the free guide that I have, the five-step guide to navigating your child's hearing loss has all of those elements. So look at that. I think I included, <laughs> I got them all. And if, uh, if anybody wants to go and download that, it's available at allaboutaudiology.com slash guide. Um, you can really see how I outline those steps and how you have to figure out what your next step is, but also see the whole journey at once. Courtney, thank you so much for coming. If anybody wants to find you or follow you, where do you hang out? Uh, definitely come find me on Instagram at Kinetic Court. How do you spell that? So it's Kinetic, K-I-N-E-T-I-C, and then C-O-U-R-T-Z. At Kinetic Courts. Okay, and we will link that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on the show. For any of you that are on Instagram, definitely follow Kinetic Quartz uh, to watch Courtney do some incredible things. Recently, she's been doing aerial, you know, when, when there's the, that uh, giant pieces of material hanging from the ceiling, and then there's all sorts of acrobatics. It is fun. I enjoy your stories. And I just wanted to tack on to the end of this episode a little bit about rubella, because um, as most of you know there is the MMR vaccine, measles, mumps, rubella, three diseases that really have been well under control for many decades because of those vaccines. And Courtney was born at a time that was kind of in between. It was, you know, before everyone was doing uh, the vaccine and before there was a lot of knowledge about this. And still in other parts of the world that don't have that kind of vaccination, rubella still exists and many tens of thousands of children uh, contract the disease and have subsequently hearing loss as a result of rubella. And so the reason I wanted to just mention this is because historically there were many, many cases uh, of rubella, of children with congenital rubella and hearing loss and other different conditions because of it. Um, and that was much, much more common, you know, several decades back. And around the 60s, when the vaccine became more available and more widely used, this, this kind of changed. And so in the context of the history, the medical, the public health sort of history of what are the causes of hearing loss, 
the cause of rubella did go down, you know, but this is something that still exists around the world. And in fact, uh, Courtney shared with me, she was born in the late seventies. However, um, it just didn't her her mom didn't get the vaccine. So, you know, so even though it was mostly available, this was kind of at the tail end rubella clinics in New York city. So that's just a little extra thing that I, I wanted to mention and here if anyone else has experience or thoughts on the history of, of how rubella used to be a much more common cause of hearing loss and thankfully has now been much reduced. In any case, I'm so, so grateful to Courtney for sharing her inspiring message with us and I am grateful that you are a listener to the show. As always, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing. If this is an episode or anything that we mentioned today resonates with you or you want to share with a friend, please share this with your colleagues, your students, your friends, and anyone who can benefit from the conversations we're having on the All About Audiology podcast. And again, thank you to the patrons who support the show. You can visit patreon.com slash allaboutaudiology to learn more about becoming a patron and the benefits that you can um, get over there. I can't wait to share the next several episodes with you, so stay tuned. I'm Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and this is the All About Audiology Podcast.